Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, April 23rd. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Amos 8, 11 and 12 Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Akarai Mot, and it means, After the Death. Leviticus 16, 1-19 The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering 
the goat chosen by lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by lot to be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will take two handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and will carry the burner and the incense behind the inner curtain. There, in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals, so that a cloud of incense will rise over the ark's cover, the place of atonement, that rests on the ark of the covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. Then he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process he will purify the most holy place and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the Most Holy Place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. Then Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He will do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat and putting it on each of the horns of the altar. Then he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. Judges 1.1-2.9 After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites. The Lord answered, Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. The men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, Go with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. When the men of Judah attacked The Lord gave them victory over the Canaanites and Perizzites, and they killed 10,000 enemy warriors at the town of Bezek. While at Bezek, they encountered King Adonai Bezek and fought against him, and the Canaanites and Perizzites were defeated. Adonai Bezek escaped, but the Israelites soon captured him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonai Bezek said, I once had 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, eating scraps from under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They took him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and captured it. 
killing all its people and setting the city on fire. Then they went down to fight the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev and the western foothills. Judah marched against the Canaanites in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba, defeating the forces of Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. From there, they went to fight against the people living in the town of Deber, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Asa in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, was the one who conquered it. So Aksa became Othniel's wife. When Aksa married Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What's the matter? She said, Let me have another gift. You have already given me land in the Negev. Now please give me springs of water, too. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. When the tribe of Judah left Jericho, the city of Palms, the Kenites, who were descendants of Moses' father-in-law, traveled with them into the wilderness of Judah. They settled among the people there, near the town of Arad in the Negev. When Judah joined with Simeon to fight against the Canaanites living in Zephath, and they completely destroyed the town, so the town was named Hormah. In addition, Judah captured the towns of Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, along with their surrounding territories. The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country. But they failed to drive out the people living in the plains, who had iron chariots. The town of Hebron was given to Caleb as Moses had promised. And Caleb drove out the people living there who were descendants of the three sons of Anak. The tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites, who were living in Jerusalem. So, to this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. The descendants of Joseph attacked the town of Bethel, and the Lord was with them. They sent men to scout out Bethel, formerly known as Luz. They confronted a man coming out of the town and said to him, Show us a way into the town, and we will have mercy on you. So he showed them a way in, and they killed everyone in the town except that man and his family. Later, the man moved to the land of Hittites, where he built a town. He named it Luz, which is its name to this day. The tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people living in Bethshan, Tanakh, Dor, Iblim, Megiddo, and all their surrounding settlements because the Canaanites were determined to stay in that region. When the Israelites grew stronger, they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves, but they never did drive them completely out of the land. The tribe of Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, so the Canaanites continued to live there among them. The tribe of Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron and Nahalal, so the Canaanites continued to live among them. But the Canaanites were forced to work as slaves for the people of Zebulun. The tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko, Sidon, Ahlab, Akzib, Helba, Afik, and Rehob. Instead, the people of Asher moved in among the Canaanites, who controlled the land, for they failed to drive them out. 
Likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath. Instead, they moved in among the Canaanites who controlled the land. Nevertheless, the people of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were forced to work as slaves for the people of Naphtali. As for the tribe of Dan, the Amorites forced them back into the hill country and would not let them come down into the plains. The Amorites were determined to stay in Mount Heres, Ijalon, and Shalbim. But when the descendants of Joseph became stronger, they forced the Amorites to work as slaves. The boundary of the Amorites ran from Scorpion Pass to Selah and continued upward from there. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors, and I said I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. But you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your side, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. When the angel of the Lord finished speaking to all the Israelites, and the people wept loudly. So they called the place Bokim, which means weeping, and they offered sacrifices there to the Lord. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated, at Timnath-Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Luke 21, 29 to 22, 13. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out! Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware, like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Every day Yeshua went to the temple to teach, and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Yeshua, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples. 
and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Yeshua to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Yeshua, so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Yeshua sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? they asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Yeshua had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. Psalm 91 91-16 Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years, are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning, In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us, some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow grow in wisdom. O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I will trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, 
Though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Proverbs 13, 24 and 25 Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. The godly eat to their heart's content, but the belly of the wicked goes hungry. I want to speak to you today from our reading from the book of Judges, and I'm going to add in kind of a personal anecdotal experience as I speak from the teaching from the scriptures from Judges. So I just returned from Israel, and I was in Jerusalem, and I was there for six weeks on an assignment and just returned. So I was living and working in Jerusalem as a volunteer with Christian Friends of Israel and helped to launch a brand new internet-based radio station called cfiradio.com. That's cfiradio.com. There's some awesome teachings that you can listen to on there, many podcasts. We've got some podcasts from Lance Lambert, from Derek Prince, from Sharon Sanders, and from others as well, including some Israeli worship music with Carolyn Hyde. So go check it out. Uh, Now I want to jump into the reading, the scriptures today, and then relate it back to some of the things I witnessed and observed and experienced while I was in Israel. And in Judges, it's talking about how the tribes have taken up their portion of land that's been given to them. And in chapter 2 of Judges, verse 27, the tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people living in Bethshan, Tanakh, Dor, Ibelin, Megiddo, and all their surrounding settlements. The same thing is spoken of regarding Ephraim, the same pattern. Verse 29, the tribe of Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites living in various places. Verse 30, the tribe of Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Ketron and other places. Verse 31, the tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko and other places. Verse 33, likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh and other places. And so that's in chapter 1 of Judges. Now in chapter 2, here's really the the bottom line. Chapter 2, verse 2, for your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, You were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation 
to you. That has surely come to pass. So just from my recent trip to Israel, what you can see there, there's the Arab world and there's the Jewish world. And you can pass by Jericho or pass by Bethlehem on a highway and other Arab communities, and there's a big, huge, high wall all around the community. And there's only one way in and one way out. You have to go through the security gate. And if you are Jewish, unless you're there on business, you're not allowed in there. And why do they put this wall up all around Bethlehem and around Jericho and around other Arab communities? It's because there's so much terrorism that this has been actually an extremely effective way to keep the terrorists uh, kept within their own community and not allowed to just roam freely and be killing Jews and spilling blood. So also another thing is even in Jerusalem, there are many mosques. And I lived, I was staying in the Talpiot neighborhood in an apartment and two to three times a day, you could hear the call to prayers from the Muslim mosque. And it was very loud over a loudspeaker. And it's a proclamation that Allah is the, you know, the supreme God. And so this is a mixture. This is truly the inhabitants of the land are a thorn in the side of the children of Israel. The other thing I witnessed and observed was that there's been a huge uptick in terrorism attacks. And especially in the town of Harawa, there were two brothers that were driving through the town to get to home and as they drove through this Arab town, because the highway, that's the only way to get where they needed to go, was to go through this town, they were stopped at a stoplight, and they were attacked, and they were killed. Um, and then in another town, Efrat, just south of Jerusalem, about 20 minutes south, there was a, a woman and her two daughters driving in a car, and a Palestinian terrorist, Arab terrorist, came into this Jewish community with a rifle or a shotgun, and he shot them right through the window panes of the car. And the 15-year-old daughter and the 20-year-old daughter were instantly killed. The mother was very seriously injured, and she ended up in the hospital. And then a, a day or two later, she also died, leaving the husband, who is a rabbi, along with four other children, as a widow. So he went from a family of seven down to a family of four. So it's very sad that this terrorism uptick has happened, but we can trace it all the way back to what's uh, what the words from the scripture from Ch Judges chapter 2. But you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare I will no longer drive out the people living near land. They will be thorns in your side, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. And you can certainly see the effects of that in modern Israel today. So I wanted to make that comment and kind of connect it to what, what's going on in Israel today. Basically, God is saying, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give to your ancestors and said I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people. 
living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. Well, that's not what happened. And so because they were disobedient and they didn't drive out the people, to this day, they now have a lot of trouble with internal attacks and conflicts and terrorism coming from the Arab peoples. Now, that's not to say that all the Arabs are this way. There are Arab bus drivers and Arab taxi cab drivers and normal Arabs that just want to make a living and support their families and live in peace. But there are some Arabs that are connected to Hamas and Hezbollah and terrorist groups, and they their intention is to destroy the nation of Israel and kill as many Jews as possible. So another application of this is if we look at our own soul, and when we first get saved, we have a lot of baggage. We have a lot of areas within that we need to conquer. We have a lot of sin. And so we have to take the promised land within us back for the Lord and purge out the sin, purge out the leaven. Um, areas of our life where we have been in bondage, he wants us to take it back and reclaim it. And so we don't want to be compromising and say, oh, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'll, I'll give him 80% of the pie of my life. But this other 20% of the pie of my life, I'm going to keep. That's mine. I'm not going to let it go, release it or surrender it or give it to him. And so when we compromise and we hold back and we hang on to a stronghold or an area of sin in our life, then we're not conquering it and we will not know freedom and it will impede our progress and our growth in Yeshua. So the last thing I want to share with you is just kind of a personal experience that was very, very uh, profound for me. I had the opportunity and the honor to visit Sukkot Halal several times while I was there. And Sukkot Halal is a 24-7 house of prayer and praise. And it's been there for, I don't know, 25 or 30 years. Uh, they are up high. They have floor-to-ceiling windows. And the windows overlook the old city. And also you can see Mount Zion. Now, the atmosphere at Sukkot Halal was awesome. There's been such a... Um, the presence of the Lord has truly been established in that place. I think there's a an open portal, an open heaven over that place. And the high praise and the worship and the prayer that has gone up, the prayer watches that are usually two to three hours each prayer watch, it has really established a very special atmosphere there. And people from all over the world come to worship and to pray over Israel. So as you look through these windows that overlook the old city and also you see Mount Zion, I didn't know that that mountain off to the left through the window was Mount Zion. And I asked somebody, what, which mountain is that? And you could see the Golden Dome, the Al-Ask Mosque, to the right. And it was much lower in elevation from this other mountain peak. The other mountain peak is very green. There's a, some kind of a tower on top. I'm not sure what that tower is. So I asked someone, which mountain is this? And he said, oh, that's Mount Zion. And all of a sudden, something just really clicked and connected for me. Because in the scriptures, there's a prophecy about Mount Zion. 
and I'm going to read the verses to you. But to be able to connect an actual visual place that I could see to the scriptures of what the prophecy says about Mount Zion was just an aha moment for me to be able to connect the dots between these are words on a page and now I see the place where it's going to happen. It was really, really awesome. So the prophecy about Mount Zion is found in Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through 4, where it is written, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And so as I saw Mount Zion through the window at Sukkot Halal, and then those scriptures came to my mind, it became the prayer of my heart, Father, as I speak out these scriptures from Isaiah chapter one, chapter two, verses one to four, may it come to pass, may it be fulfilled in our lifetime. May we see this prophecy about Mount Zion be fulfilled in our lifetime. So I just wanted to share that with you. And actually the picture that I've associated to this particular episode is a picture, the picture I took uh, of Mount Zion with that scripture from Isaiah placed upon it. May this be great encouragement to you. Have a blessed day, and we will see you tomorrow. Shalom. <laughs> Mareka Yaya Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Isa Adonai the ironic blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.